Welcome to the Hopecast. We're glad you're joining us this week. Here we have conversations about finding life. And I'm joined by David Dwight. We've had a few weeks with some other special guests, but David, you're Wait, back. Wait, you mean there's other guests? You're back. There's other guests. Oh, man. Now you have a podcast to go listen to. Yes, of that course. That you haven't heard yet. I have not listened to those yet, but I look forward to it because I know that they're going to be really cool. Yes, they are. They were great. If you guys haven't heard them and go back, um, Wes and Tyler and Pete shared some thoughts uh, that have been, they're just really encouraging to me, honestly, even though I know those guys really well and spend a lot of time here in their hearts, the clarity of the passion of what we do in the church was awesome to hear. So it's really good. That's great. It's a beautiful day here in Richmond today. Finally. It is a beautiful, beautiful day. So I read that May was the rainiest May in Richmond in 63 years. It was really, I I was like, is this what it's like to live in Seattle? Because if so, no, thank you. Yeah. I don't know that it rains that hard in Seattle. It rains rains like all the time, but the amount of rain, um, there's a kind of rain you can't do anything. I mean, if it's like misty or light rain and you go for a run or whatever, well, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think was the worst of the flooding. And that was unbelievable. All over town, there was flooding in all these places. Yeah. And then even just this last weekend was a was a big storm in a lot of parts of town that had tons and tons of rain. So I was looking in, uh, at a little stat the other day. So Richmond is nine inches ahead of the average rainfall year to date wow. right now. Nine inches is a lot That's of rain. What? It actually makes me feel better because, you know, sometimes <laughs> you get to a year and you're thinking, gosh, it's hot or wow, it's so cold. It's not. And, and you're like, wait, it's like this every year, but no, it's not like this every yeah, year. This year I'm hearing. Well, when you hear like the rainiest May in 63 years, you're now sort of in the terrain of like hundred year flood type levels yeah. of conversation. Yeah. So hopefully it's really rare, like yeah. hundred years, <laughs> let's, <laughs> like let's repeating every it. year. Let's hope that's it. Well, it's coming to be summertime, time of like trips and vacation and different, different schedules. And do you have any fun, anything excited, uh, places you're excited about going? We, well, we have a busy summer with, uh, plans of various family plans. We have some weddings that are happening in our larger family mm. and, uh, some graduations and some other stuff like that that are happening. So, that's for sure part of our summer. And then um, I think in the latter part of the summer, we will take some vacation time. Uh, hopefully that'll work out up in Maine, which is a place that we've enjoyed and been able to go to. So we'll see. But it's going to depend on a few variables. Yeah, How about you? Absolutely. We are um, not traveling too much because my husband, Dave, and my son, my oldest son, are going to the DR on a mission trip with Hope in July. So that takes up a big part of the summer as far as family time together. But, um, I was thinking about how we have these places that are so impactful in our life. You know, I know that Maine's a great, has been an enjoyable place for your family. And my family has lots of different places. One of them being like a place at the lake that we love to be together. And, um, there's something about a place that can do something in us that's a little bit hard to describe, but it does bring up certain emotions, sometimes becomes a place of peace or whatever it is. And I know that you just took a big trip uh, to Israel, and we thought we might just talk about that a little bit because 
for all of us who are interested in faith or have read parts of the Bible or all of the Bible, there's, it's a, it's a place like the Bible was written in a place in time. It isn't just a a book of legend that exists outside of time and space. And, um, I just would love to hear some of your thoughts on that. So how about like two minutes on this idea of place? And then we'll talk about Israel. I think I've learned a lot more over the years, um, the significance of this idea that we call place. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I had thought about it a whole lot, but you know, you just sort of are where you are. You're here, there and everywhere. You're doing what you do in life. Um, but you know, the word places is actually a pretty significant part of hope's mission Mm -hmm. statement, Mm -hmm. offering experiences, relationships, and places Mm -hmm. where people can find life and purpose through Jesus Christ. And we've talked a lot about places. What are these places? What are the environments like? Mm -hmm. What are the buildings like? What do you experience and feel when you're in these places? And I think we've talked a lot about this idea of place from a sort of, call it artistic and architectural kind of way. Um, How do you really try to create places that can be meaningful, inspiring, uh, and all that sort of thing? Absolutely. So yes, place is actually a big deal that I've grown to appreciate a lot more. I don't know that I thought about it much years ago, but I think about it a lot more now. So, you know, people who are like interior decorators, these people are like specialists at thinking about places and the feel and the experience and the whole bit. And I think if you're a a pragmatic person in your personality, you can tend to undervalue. I used to. Yeah. And as, as I feel the same and over the years, like you said, you do, first of all, you listen to other people and there's a little bit of, this isn't of course everyone, but some people who've come to hope for the first time are around our West Creek location that obviously a lot of heart and a lot of sacrifice went into making this place say, I don't know what it is about this place, dot, dot, dot. And then they'll say, I feel I feel relaxed. I feel peaceful. I feel different. A lot of people cry, which, you know, we can talk more about that at another time, but there is something about, you know, a place of belonging, I think. And hopefully the spirit of the, the leadership and the hope people here and who God is and who God's been in all of our lives makes that place Mm -hmm. be significant. But yeah, I think if you're practical and sort of efficient, you think, well, that doesn't, we don't need to spend time, money or energy on that. Um, yeah. maybe to the detriment of the whole. You yeah. Know? Yeah. If somebody had said to me 20 years ago in a conversation when we were in a certain place, if they said, let's talk about and reflect on how this place makes you feel mm. 20 years ago, I probably would not have had much entry point for that conversation. Yep. I wouldn't have known how to engage it. Now I'd be like, oh man, that would be a really cool conversation. Mm. So if we want to arc toward this uh, trip to Israel, uh, I'd never, I'd not been to Israel before. I had long, uh, had a desire to go sort of under the right circumstances because for me, uh, there would be certain experiences that I would be hoping mm. might happen on a trip like this. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a place you just like fly on over and like, right. it would feel like it would need some, right. some work to make Although sure interestingly enough, having been there, my view of that maybe is adjusted a bit. For instance, oh, right. I was thinking... When I got out of college, my parents gave my brother and me uh, a summer trip to Europe. And basically, we took a couple guidebooks and just followed our nose around Europe. You could do that in Israel. Um, For me, the first time, having just been there, 
we had a guide who was leading our trip mm. who was really, really good in a lot of different ways. And so I'm like, well, that is so helpful because a guide who really knows his or her stuff accelerates your experience and your insight and your engagement. And, um, so, but you could go to Israel with right. a guidebook and just follow. You could go to Israel, rent a car, take a guidebook and follow your nose. Yeah. Like even you saying that I've never been there. Of course, I'm very intrigued. I would have no context for the fact that you could do that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know when you get, is it, right. is it big? Is it small? Is it right. crowded? Is it, how do you know where to go? Yeah. You know, all right. that. I mean, that's true. Of course. But not places, unlike but. the fact that you could go to England and sure. take a guidebook and follow your sure. nose and go discover. You could do that in Israel. It's a little different if you really want to get to a number of biblical locations and sites and you don't know your way around, having a guide is going to make your time yeah. much more efficient. And I imagine they know what kind of time it takes for different experiences right. and all that. Right. So anyway, uh, we were there, we were on the ground in Israel for, I think it was nine, eight or nine days, mm-hmm. sort of a full travel day to get there and a full travel day to get home. But it is. It really is amazing because now you're seeing these places, I'm seeing these places that I have read about in the Bible many, many mm. times. And when you read about it in the Bible, you sort of develop a picture in your mind's sure. eye of sort of seeing and thinking about what this might be like. In some ways, what was interesting about being there was it looked very much like I had imagined, mm. other places not so much. But, you know, there are, we've all probably seen pictures or, or video or something. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. not like your imagination is operating blind. But just a whole bunch of stuff that helps get oriented. So our guide said a few times, he said, Israel is basically about the size of the state of New Jersey. Well, that's helpful to me because I grew up in New Jersey. Helpful to me. My husband's from New Jersey. I'm like, oh, right? gosh, oh, that's small. Yeah. So all of, all, sudden, all of a sudden, yeah. that orients a yeah. lot. And um, so the northern part of Israel is up where the Sea of Galilee is. And that's huge because Jesus spent most of his ministry life up around the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Jerusalem is maybe maybe um, 90 miles, 80 miles or so okay. south of there. Okay. And... So we know that Jesus, of course, was in Jerusalem on occasion, and you begin to just see how these places orient relative to each Mm -hmm. other. Where are they? What would it have been like to go from this place to that place? We had a lot of conversations. We were with other people on the trip about how would you translate distances Mm. and travel time from Jesus's day when it was all on foot or on a donkey or an ox cart versus today in cars and so on. How did distances feel, relatively speaking? For sure, distances felt much, much, much more local. Yeah. It wasn't only the actual distance. It was the emotional sense and feel of the distance. So, for instance, there are a bunch of towns which were basically fishing villages mm. that are up around the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so the Sea of Galilee is a lake. Some people might be like, really? Why do they call it a sea? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but it's a lake. Um, And some people would say, well, is it a big lake or a small lake? 
I would say for me, it was smaller than I thought it was going to be. Didn't you say you could see to the other side? You definitely can see to the other well, side. That's, I mean, that orients the size to me of it. And also, I think for, for us, at least in sort of the southeastern United mm-hmm. States, most of the lakes we're familiar with have all kinds of coves and fingers. Sure. They sort of spread and they're like coves and fingers. This is more of a sort of contained, it's sort of shaped, uh, they call it shaped like a harp, like the shape of a harp. Okay. But it doesn't have all kinds of coves and Mm. fingers. It's just like pretty contained in that shape. Um, Up in the northern part where it gets wider, uh, it's, I don't remember specifically, um, maybe six or seven miles, eight miles across. Okay. And then in the southern part, like at the harp where it narrows down at the bottom, then it sort of is narrowing all the way down to where you get to the very bottom. But um, some days it was hazy, so you see the other side, but but it's vague and sure. hazy. Other days when it's clear, you see the other side very clearly. Mm-hmm. And so on the biblically speaking in Jesus' day, the western side of the Sea of Galilee would have been where Jesus spent his time. Mm. It was more of the Jewish-Israel side of the Sea of Galilee. So towns like Capernaum and Magdala and Tiberias, these are all sort of Western towns on the, the, on the Western okay. coast of the Sea of Galilee. On the Eastern coast of the Sea of Galilee, you're getting up into hills and mountains. That's now called the Golan Heights, But for instance, you know the biblical account of the Gadarene healing where uh, Jesus goes to the other side of the lake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it says there is a man who lived in the tombs and then uh, he's healed and the demons go into Mm -hmm. the pigs. They run down Mm -hmm. into the water. You see where that happened and the whole bit. But there was a big emphasis from our guide who... I felt was very knowledgeable. When Jesus says to the disciples, let us go over to the other side, he's not speaking solely of a geographic reality. Mm. He's speaking of an ethnic reality. He's saying, let us go over to those other people who are not Jews. They're not of Israel because the kingdom has to go to them too. Interesting. So like all of these things for me, my head's exploding in a million different experiences like this. But just seeing the Sea of Galilee, how it lays out, how the towns go. Here's a little example. This morning, I was reading Matthew 11. Okay, The opening verse in Matthew 11 says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Hmm. Okay, So I'm like, now I know exactly (laughs) what that looks like. Yeah, I know what those towns are. I know where they are. And like people said to me, the experience of reading the Bible before going to Israel and after is like it going from black and white to color. Mm -hmm. That's one way to say it. Um, Another thing that I would say for me that was really significant was that seeing all these things in these places was very validating Mm. to faith and to the, the veracity of the Bible. Okay. So say more about that. So obviously you have faith, you know, but so what is it, what does validating look like or feel like in that experience? So I have this part of my personality and my makeup, and I think it was one of the biggest reasons I first became a Christian, which is this passionate desire, the best I'm able to do it, to know what the truth is. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like truth, I'm wired to say, I have to feel the best I can understand it, that my life is being lived consistently with what is true. Mm-hmm. It's why I became a Christian in the first point, because I came to believe that Jesus Christ is truly mm-hmm. God's son. Um, okay, so whenever I have the prospect of something that I think is significant and it could engage this truth, I am sometimes a little nervous because I'm like, what if I read this book and I, it starts making me think, I'm not sure Christianity is true. Sure. I've shared this at hope a few years ago. I read a bunch of books by sort of quote the new atheists. And I felt like as a matter of integrity, I had to read them, but I was also a little nervous. Like what if I read Mm -hmm. these books Mm -hmm. and I'm persuaded by them? Okay. So good news is I read the books and I wasn't (laughs) persuaded by them. But I'm like, what if I go to Israel and I see a bunch of stuff and it's like basically making it clear to me that what's in the Bible Mm. doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. It's not possible. Then I'm personally going to have a crisis of faith. Sure. So the fact that you see these places and it's validating to what you read in the Bible was significant. And then there are other, I mean, that's validating. Like you just see where these towns Mm. are. You see how people fished on the Sea of Galilee. You see how storms well up on the Sea of Mm. Galilee because of the the higher and lower elevations. And the Sea of Galilee is like 800 feet below sea level. Mm. And so you understand how temperature inversions in the hot time of the year can create these flare-up storms. So when you read about, you know, the disciples and Jesus stilling the storm. Or a storm like kicking up or what you just said about the the pigs running in and seeing how that actually could happen and yep. all of those little, those yeah. are such little tiny details, but probably all add but up But they're to very valid experience. Yeah. Okay. So then you go, then we went, um, far to farther south below south of Jerusalem and we get down to the Dead Sea okay and the Dead Sea people have heard about incredibly saline far beyond the water's ability to dissolve the salt mm-hmm. so the salt is all on the bottom um, but all around the Dead Sea are all these uh, hills and and wilderness when the Bible calls mm-hmm. it wilderness there's just nothing there. Hmm. It's hills and it's dirt and gravel and rock, and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about yeah. the wilderness. Um, now, the Dead Sea is there, but only in little isolated spots do you see these little places where there's a little bit of green growth, mm-hmm. which, of course, means there's some water near there one way or another. Um, so there's this area down near the Dead Sea uh, called Engedi. And uh, apparently it's a place where King David liked to go. Mm. So there are these springs that come out of the hills and they create waterfalls. Mm. And these waterfalls then have green growth and vegetation around them. Um, So that was interesting to see that. But another thing that was fascinating is whenever you're driving around, you see all these hills and mountains. Bible calls them mountains. They're probably two to 3,000 feet high. Okay. So they're not like the Tetons or the Rockies. But also, you see all these natural caves in the side mm. of these mountains. And there's a lot of accounts in the Bible that talk about things happening in caves. Somebody was hiding in a cave. Sure. David and Saul were chasing each other around that wilderness, and they're hiding out in caves. These are natural caves, and they're all over the place. Mm. 
So you're like, I totally get it now. I never could have understood how that worked before, but I totally see it now. So those are examples of that kind of stuff. Of the validating of the faith. And you mentioned something about particularly on kind of the validation of what Jesus did in his, in his crucifixion, resurrection part yeah. uh, a little earlier. When we yeah, so we spent stuff. the last couple of days in Jerusalem, and you're in and around the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, you see how Jerusalem is laid out. You see the gates that, or the, you know, because all these cities were walled cities. They were protected by big walls. And you mentioned that this is continual discovery, which also blows my mind that it's 2018 and that you would be in continual discovery. I thought yeah. that was like that there's actually digs and archaeological research going on. And there, well, we probably don't have time to talk about all that, but that actually it truly I is. Said, People are really, really bringing up old cities. I said to our guide one day, I said, how do you know if you're looking at that hill right there that down in the hill with archaeology, there's not a huge find? He said, it's, it's commonly perceived that way. Wow. And I said, why is it all now? And he said, well, David, remember the history of Israel. Um, Israel was only really identified as a state that could identify itself this way in 1948. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's really only since 1948 that... Israel has been a country where um, Israelis and Jews could call it their home and where an investment in the archaeological history has really taken mm. place. Yeah, that makes more sense. So now you're like, okay, so it's only since 1948 they've been discovering this right. stuff. All right, so Jerusalem, the eastern gate, which you see, is the gate that Jesus probably came in and out of the mm. most. They call the Kidron Valley. People who know the Bible will have read about it. Mm-hmm. When I think valley, I think Shenandoah Valley. Yeah. The Kidron Valley is 100 yards across. It's basically just it's a, like, a big like a gully. Yeah. It's a big gully. It's a down and up. Okay. Um, and on the other side of the Kidron Valley is the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. And, you know, the Bible tells frequently of Jesus going mm-hmm. there. And then, of course, uh, the night when he's betrayed and then apprehended by the Romans and Judas betrays him, that takes place in the Garden of Mm -hmm. Gethsemane. So we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there are trees in the garden that carbon date back to the time of Jesus, Mm. olive trees. Wow. Right? So a lot of younger ones that weren't there when he was there, but there's several that carbon date back to his time. So you're like, like that tree right there was in this Mm. garden when Jesus Christ was in the garden. It's hard to express what you feel and reflect on. And somewhere in this garden is where Jesus prayed, Mm -hmm. Father, not my will, but thine be done. And then you follow the trail of him being taken into Jerusalem, where he was tried by Pilate. Mm. Um, You see various other locations in Jerusalem where the crucifixion happened, where he was buried. There are two locations that are possible burial sites, and Mm. there are debates of whether which one is the most authentic the whole experience for me was hugely validating yeah. from a faith standpoint and really encouraging. It's it's almost miraculous that it's, I mean, of course, God knows what he's doing, but it, to be, to make that the place where everything happened and for that place yeah. to be able to preserve that history yeah. based on the I geography, I had so many thoughts history, like, why the, here? Like, why right. not France? Why not Africa? Right. Why not somewhere else? Right. Well, there's a whole bunch of history that ties into yeah. that. The, the funny thing is I said to one of the people on our trip, like the first two days I was there, 
I felt like I was at the Holy Land exhibit at Disney World. Like, hey, welcome to Disney World. I don't think they and, have that at right, Disney World. right. But I'm like, I'm like, wow, they've done such a nice job with this. I think it looks so much like the real thing. It was thing. so hard to believe it was actually it's real. It's actually real. Yeah. It's 100. Yeah. That's, That's so it. crazy. Well, again, back to the point. We were kind of talking about the impact of place. I think we all have that. But this is a this is truly a place where the Bible the 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 stories and the life of the Bible, it's a real place. I mean, I think that's our main point. And that place can validate, yes, these experiences. Um, It's incredibly moving to be in a place where archaeology, historians, et cetera, are very sure that thing in the Bible, it happened right here. That's unbelievable. I love it. And I want to go read all those stories that you brought up to us as well. All right. We'll talk with you guys next week. HopeCast is a ministry of Hope Church in Richmond, Virginia. We're glad you joined us this week. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at www.hopecentral.com.